What if today were the last day of your life? Would you do anything differently? Would you regret having not taken action on something sooner? I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. My guest today is Coot Blackson, spiritual leader, transformational coach, and the author of You Are the One. Coot is here to share advice on how to unlock your potential and create a life that you truly want to live. Coot, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you describe yourself as a transformational catalyst. What mm. does that mean exactly? You know, I simply help people uh, transform from who they are to from where they are to where they want to be. And I help people reconnect with who they really are at their true essence. I think, uh, you know, when we're born as children, we're born free. We're born in touch with our wholeness, our vitality, our true essence. If you look at a child, a child will jump on the table and sing and dance and scream. And, you know, it doesn't have so many inhibitions. You look into a child's eyes, there's an innocence. They're in touch with that aliveness. You know, they don't they don't really care, am I fat? What do you think of me? So as we go through life, what I've observed is we slowly start getting conditioned. You know, we deal with our parents and society and maybe we get bullied at school or we're abandoned or we're neglected, whatever it is we went through, and slowly we start to disconnect from that pure light, from that pure essence, and we start learning a certain way of being in the world to avoid pain, but we also start learning and developing defense mechanisms and a persona and a personality to get love and be validated in the world, and and we start developing a, a persona and a mask that kind of covers up who we really are and the sense of who do I need to be in order for, for in order for you to love me. So slowly, what I found is we start disconnecting from who we really are, and and that kind of keeps us in a prison of a persona that we we live and maybe we we uh, survive. Basically, it's a survival mechanism. So what I really help people do is identify where their blocks are, where their limits are, where they're stuck, and help them shift that so they can reconnect with that joy, that freedom, and the authenticity of, of who they were. So how do you do that? How do you get people to reprogram themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the first things is we're, we're often not aware. We often think that who we've become is who we actually are. You know, we've become the nice person in order to, in, in response to maybe our father. Or we've become the independent person, a little over-independent. We've, we've developed these identities and personas and masks that we often hold very, very tightly to. And, and we often think, no, this is just me. It's just who I am. So I, I, I start by asking people and framing uh, a perception and a question of, you know, is who you are who you really are or is it simply who you've been conditioned to be so I think one of the first steps for an individual to uh, I would say wake up is to become aware and many times we're not aware that we are conditioned we're trapped in that conditioning so to me the first step is conditioning and uh, to become aware of one's conditioning is the beginning of freedom and I think the next step is also the willingness to tell the truth which I share a bit about in my book and I think when we have the willingness to to tell the truth I think so often we we have, you know, we're either rationalizing or we're either lying to ourselves or we're either settling. And I think one of the things that keeps us stuck from really transforming is uh, we don't tell the truth to ourselves because often maybe we've created a certain way of being that got certain needs met. We've created a certain way of being that helped us survive, function, and even for some of us achieve a certain level of success in the world, but maybe it's inhibiting uh, the next level of our freedom. So I think the willingness to tell the truth about where we're at, what we feel, uh, which we often suppress, is, is also a key. But we're often afraid to tell the truth 
because I think we're often afraid of the the consequences. You know, if I really allow myself to feel how I feel, if I really allow myself to feel how I feel about my relationship or about my job or about myself, then what what might happen to my life? So I think we often deny, we often suppress, we often distract ourselves uh, all sorts of ways from really feeling. So I think the willingness to tell the truth about where we're at, what we feel, uh, confess that to ourselves and the willingness to also feel what we feel, feel what's underneath uh, all the layers that we've we've learned to build up. Yeah, you encourage people to make a list of the things they've lied to themselves about. So yes. once you have yeah. that list, what do yeah. you do with that list? I think, you know, the, even if you... Here's the thing. Even if you don't act on the list, just the willingness to be ruthlessly, compassionately honest with yourself where we stop lying and you just... You know, I, I say you just sit in sit in the truth of where you're at. I believe the truth will set you free. It might first upset you. It might first, you know, freak you out. It might first cause a lot of fear. But to just first be with that list. And number one, I would say, feel what it's costing you. Feel what your lies, what your denial, where you are lying to yourself. Feel what it's costing you. And one of the things I also invite people to ask is, you know, what is it you're pretending to not know? Because sometimes we we pretend we're like, no, you know, I'm I'm fine. No, I'm you know, this relationship kind of works. No, this. If you're willing to be that honest with your list and feel, many times we we do feel it, but we distract ourselves. So so eliminate the distractions. Feel what it's costing you, and often what you'll feel is pain. Even if you don't act, even if you don't quit your job right now, even if you, even if you don't end the relationship that you know isn't working, but when you start to feel it, you'll get in touch with the pain. You'll get in touch with the sadness. You'll get in touch with the dissatisfaction, which we often run from and avoid. And I think it's an important, it's an important step in our in our willingness to then uh, take action. Because I think so. it's only so long that we can feel what we feel until eventually, if we're willing to sit in that, which takes a lot of courage, eventually we're going to do something about it. So the other thing I invite people to ask is not only where am I lying to myself, what am I lying and make a list, not only uh, the question, you know, what am I pretending to not know, not only what is this, what is this, what are these lies costing me, but also sit with what is it I'm actually afraid of? What it, what 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 is it I'm afraid of? Why is it that I'm lying? What is it I'm so afraid of? And to actually take a moment to sit with that and face that. Many times we're running from things that we think we're afraid of and, and we're not willing to face that. And something happens, I found, when you're willing to just face your fear and be with your fear. And a profound thing can happen if you're willing to sit with it and face it and even make peace with, okay, this is what I'm afraid of. Can I deal with that? Can I be with that? And a lot of energy gets freed up when you just face the fear and be with it. Uh, the other thing is we, we're often so focused on the consequence, the negative consequences of what will happen mm-hmm. if we speak the truth, what we're going to lose, the relationship we're going to lose, the, the job we're going to lose, how we're, how we're going to survive, what will happen to the life that we've built, that sometimes we, we often don't focus on also what great thing might happen, what, what, what amazing thing might happen. And uh, I think that can also be something that pulls us forward when we start focusing on what the possibilities are by speaking the truth and be, being honest with ourselves. I believe that speaking the truth is perhaps one of the core foundations to living an honest and authentic and a fulfilled life. You like to play something called the I don't know game, right? Yeah. 
that's the game we play you know i i don't know i'm i don't really know if this relationship is right for me i don't I mean, and deep down we do i mean how many times i can't tell you how many times i've worked with people that have come to my events and they say i don't know if this relationship is quite right i'm not sure and we go back and forth in our minds and our hearts and we create chaos and confusion and we stay in relationships even though there's an inkling there's a sense you know it's interesting i had a client who <clears throat> who came to me uh, many years ago and she was crying and she was you know had so many tears in her eyes and she was she was really feeling like a victim and she said my husband divorced me and and uh and i'm mad at him and i'm furious at him and i'm just just so frustrated and it was a it was a it was a very profound moment because i looked at her and i stopped because she was just going on and on and on as to how she had been wronged and uh and i looked at her and i said but you had a sense of something you knew right and she looked at me cold and she said well, I guess the truth is I did. And I said, tell me about that. And she simply said, and it was, and she started kind of having this realization where she said, when I first met my husband, the first thing, the first thing I said to him was, are you gay? And she, and he said, no. And, and she said, okay. And they started dating and they got married. And seven years later, he had the courage to, to tell the truth to himself about the fact he was, he was a, a gay man and he was pretending and he came out and he was living a, a fulfilled life. And this is the life he was committed to living. And, and she, the thing is, she knew mm-hmm. from the first moment she met this man. So she was lying have, to herself about it. She was, she was lying to herself. So we have a sense. So we have to stop lying to ourselves and, and be willing to trust our intuition to not compromise and own now knowing and sometimes it's a little it's a little scary to own the fact that we do know deep down there is a knowing inside of us because then we don't have any more excuses we can't blame anyone else we can't make it someone else's fault we we are now called to take a higher level of responsibility which uh, can sometimes be a little scary you also talk a lot about the universe and the universe teaches mm-hmm. us lessons how can we be open to those lessons from the universe uh, you know, I, I think uh, whether we're open or not, the universe is always teaching us a lesson. And I believe that the reason we're here, to me, life is like a school. And uh, every and I see life through a, through a lens of uh, learning orientation. And I see every single situation, every single experience, every single moment as an opportunity to learn and grow. I, I feel that we incarnate into this human experience as souls because there's lessons that we're here to learn. So everything we go through is an opportunity to learn, to evolve. So in any given situation, we often, especially if it's challenging, we often focus on, uh, you know, like, why is this happening to me? Or what's wrong with me? Or why doesn't God love me? And I think you know if we're willing to have this learning orientation to life and and see every single moment as an evolutionary process every single situation experience as an opportunity to learn we can start asking ourselves the question and focusing on what's the learning here how can i grow here what can i learn from this because i think every every everything uh, gives us that opportunity to become more of who we really are. I think even our dreams, our dreams and our visions and our goals, uh, sometimes we get attached to manifesting and making them happen and the outcome, the end result. But I believe that our dreams, we're given a dream or a goal in, the, in this particular moment, and those dreams often require, they take us on a journey, and they often require, you know, even my book as an example, often it required me to go on a journey of having to become the person who was able to fulfill that. So I think everything is a learning and a lesson. Yeah, let's talk about your journey. Your journey started in West Africa, right? That's where you were born. Yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. And, you know, from a very young age, I always felt this deep calling 
to serve humanity. My first memories, by the way, were I remember being around age five, maybe age six, being this chubby kid lost in the crowd mm-hmm. in Ghana. And I saw this crippled woman crawling on the floor, literally, and she picks up the sand that this man walks on and wipes it on her face. And you could call that a miracle. So week after week, I was privileged. I didn't really think of it much at the time. It was just a normal part of my life. Week after week, I grew up seeing uh, blind people see this the same man whose hand she picked up would, would uh, put his hands on a woman's eyes who was blind and she would open her eyes. Week after week, I grew up seeing uh, w- a woman coming in a wheelchair and he would say to her, stand up. And she would say, but I'm sick. And he would say, do you believe? Stand up. And she would stand up. So uh, this man was my father. He built 300 churches in uh, Ghana, West Africa. He built a huge church in London in the 80s. And so from age eight, I, I was immersed in this, uh, you could call it spiritual environment. And I started speaking in my father's audiences. Age 14, I was ordained as a minister. But I knew deep in my heart, if I'm really honest, that this wasn't my path. My father had a path and certain expectations for my life. His congregation of hundreds of thousands of people had these expectations for me. But I knew in my heart that that wasn't my truth. But the truth is, I didn't have the courage at that young age to say, hey, dad, this is the life you want from me is not the life I feel I am here to live. And I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to lose his love. I didn't want to be outcast. I didn't want to be alone. And I think one of the reasons we don't speak the truth is we're afraid. We're afraid that we won't be loved. We're afraid if I show you who I really am or if I speak my truth, you won't love me and that we're going to lose the love of someone. We're going to lose something. So I was afraid. So how did you muster the courage? How did you do it? Took me four years. Took me four years to muster the courage. And I knew it was, it burnt deeply in my heart every day. After about four years, I had to make a decision. Do I go to university or do I, what am I going to do? And, and when I got real with myself and I saw the possibility of the future that my father, that everyone expected for my life, I, I, I felt such pain in my heart and I couldn't deny that pain and I was willing to feel that pain. And that pain was, was it, it just tore me apart because I knew if I followed their, their path for my life, um, I might be successful by everyone else's standards, um, but inside I'd be a failure. And I realized if I don't have myself, I could have everything. But uh, to me, that's equivalent to a certain living death. So... I mustered up the courage to uh, speak to my father, had the conversation with my father. Sure enough, uh, he was a little upset. We didn't speak for years. Hmm. and uh, But I believe that whenever we follow our truth, whenever we follow our soul's our deepest truth, our soul's knowing, I believe that inherent in in our authentic visions and dreams and desires is, is also the seed for its fulfillment. And cut a long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the lottery. And uh, that's what brought me to the U.S., two suitcases. I knew no one in the country, $1,000. And, and that was a sign from the universe that I was being guided by something way bigger than what I could imagine, something way bigger than myself. and it, But it wasn't, let me tell you, it wasn't easy. And sometimes there's this illusion that we have that, you know, when you follow your your heart, when you follow your bliss, it's just, you know, the angels come out and everything's easy. And, and I believe it's not always easy. Sometimes we are, we are faced with challenges and those cha- challenges, I believe, are simply preparation. At least they were for me, simply preparation to develop the, the mental, the emotional, the soul muscle. So I've learned to, and I invite everyone listening, I've learned to, to celebrate the challenges when they show up because I, I see them as like the the gymnasium the that the weights for the heart the weights for the mind the the weights for the soul so to speak so that we can so that I could really um, develop the inner strength and fortitude to to do what I'm here to do
So how challenging was it for you to get to where you are today? Because I understand you came to the United States with only two suitcases and a little bit of money in your pocket. Yeah, it was honestly, it was very challenging. I, I, I showed up completely in the unknown. I was firstly, I was terrified of speaking the truth to my father. And then after speaking that we didn't speak for years. So I was kind of outcast. I was totally alone. But uh, often I think we let fear stop us. And I'll be honest, I was afraid because I had no idea. I chose not to go to university. I, I was totally going opposite of the conventional path. But uh, when I came to the US, it was challenging. I, I lived, you know, I, there was a period of time when I was, I had no money. Uh, I was living in a $250 a month shoebox apartment, uh, stealing bread from the supermarket. But I felt this deep burning desire in my soul. I knew, I knew in my heart that I was not compromising myself. And there was, there is such a, at least for me, there was such a profound freedom in that. And what I did was, you know, people often say, Coot, I don't have, I don't have money. I don't have the resources. I had nothing and knew no one. So I believe that to really shift your life, one, one, one shift I had to make that I invite everyone to consider is I, w- I remember being in this tiny apartment, be- being mad at the world, being mad at my father, feeling sorry for myself. Like I've, I've followed my heart and here I am, I'm stuck. I have no money. And all of a sudden I had this epiphany, this, this sense that no one owes me anything. And I, and I felt my own ungra- you know, inability to be fully grateful to life, my own, um, my own resistance to being grateful to, for, for who I am and what I have. So I, had, I realized I was, fully in, I was living this sense of entitlement, like God owed me something because I, I was, I was uh, being obedient. I was following my heart. My father owed me something. I realized no one owes me anything. And when, I sh- when, when that shifted for me, the sense of, even if it was subtle, the sense of entitlement, it freed me up to take full responsibility for myself, for my life, for my decisions, for my path, for my destiny, for my purpose. And uh, rather than being a victim and feeling disempowered, it really empowered me to tap into the gifts that were in me, the creativity that was in me, the resources. So I always say it's never about the resources. The resources help, but I had no resources. I think it's about how willing we are to be resourceful. And I went out, you know, how I started was I went out and I literally knocked on the doors of many of the personal growth icons of the day and age, you know, 10, 50, 20, about 18 years ago. And uh, most of the folks you would have heard of and tracked them down, harassed them, went to the seminars and just, you know, I basically, uh, rather than allowing my circumstance to dictate my my reality, I, I really made a choice to say, what do I want to create with my life and where am I going? And I, and I uh, w- moved through my fear to go for it. And sometimes we think we have this illusion that we have to eliminate fear or have no fear but I was afraid most a lot of the time but I felt a deeper calling I just didn't let my fear stop me so I think we have to move be willing to feel the fear and move through it be willing to feel the next level of fear and move through that and I think when we're growing and when we're evolving and when we're expanding ourselves there's always a there's always a little bit of fear you know there's always a little bit of I, I, I say if, if you're not a little bit afraid then likely your either your goals are too small or you're too comfortable with mm. where you're at. So who are among your greatest mentors, Coot? Um, you know, I think at different stages of my life, honestly, there were different people that impacted me. You know, as a young boy, my father was definitely a huge impact. He was a, he is still alive, but he's a, you know, spiritual icon in Africa. Um, let's see. I mean, I first was reading books by people like uh, Ernest Holmes, who started religious science, uh, Charles Fillmore, 
when I was eight, nine, ten years old, uh, the founder of Unity, age 11, I read Tony Robbins, and that was very amazing as an 11-year-old kid. And, Most kids are reading know, Harry Potter. <laughs> I, exactly. I felt, let's just, let's just say, I felt a little weird, and I, for the longest time, honestly, tried to make myself fit into society's idea of being normal. And I think when we try and fit ourselves to be something that we're not, we kill our creativity, we kill our life force, and I think one of the things that kills our ability to fully express is we were constantly comparing myself and I remember being a kid going all my friends are playing soccer all my friends are into goals all my friends are into like this kind of music and I felt really weird because I was into meditation Tony Robbins Deepak Chopra Marion Williamson Barbara DeAngelis John Gray Jack Canfield these were my Jim Rome Brian Tracy these were my icons and I started reading the Eastern mystics like Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and then Krishnamurti really blew my mind because I, I when I was about 14 years old and I, I was being ordained as a minister at 14 you know thousands of people having these their hopes pinned on me and I knew in my heart it wasn't right and I read a book by Krishnamurti after I was ordained and I really could relate to Krishnamurti's life he had been groomed since he was a child by the theosophist to be the world spiritual teacher and when he was 29 he left everything behind and when I read that book it hit me like a lightning bolt it was one of those oh my god moments you know and I knew I knew what I had to do and uh, it, it took me a while to do it, but I knew what I had to do, and, and I knew there was no turning back. So different stages of my life, there have been different teachers. Then I traveled to India and, you know, met with many mystics and gurus. I traveled to, um, where else, uh, Bali, met with many shamans, traveled to Israel, met with certain rabbis, traveled to Japan, met with monks. And just, you know, my, my life has really been a quest of really trying to understand who are we and why we're here and what's the purpose of life. So it's been, a, it's been an amazing adventure and journey, and, you know, I think life is... Life is an amazing gift that we often forget how precious it is, how amazing it is. You know, we are being lived each moment. Like right now, no matter how bad our life is, the fact that right now we are being breathed and lived by the, f the same force that birthed creation. We are being lived and breathed by the same force that literally is functioning the star, the moons, all elements. I mean, it's it's... We are a miracle, you know, so I think one of the keys for me has been also even through the challenging times to focus on what I'm grateful for. You encourage people to ask, what if today were my last day, right? Yeah, that's one of the questions that I actually asked myself a, a while back because <clears throat> going to India uh, a lot, I've been to India like 34 times now in the last maybe 15 or so years. Uh, there were many times actually uh, that I, I almost died and faced my death. And uh, I realized that, you know, no matter who we are, whether we're, again, the uh, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and Oprah, uh, a great, you know, mystic from India, Obama, whoever, no matter who we are, Bruce Lee, Bob Marley, we will all die. It From the moment we're born, it's the only guarantee. Yet when it happens, like somehow we're surprised, you know, but it's the only guarantee every single second of our life from birth, we are getting a little closer to death. And I think we spend so much of our time avoiding it, not try trying to not think about it, denying it, afraid of it. And I think the more we can make peace with the fact of we will all die. This body will expire. This body is transitory. It is impermanent. Yes, the soul is infinite and is beyond birth, is beyond death, but we will die. And I think when we can face that, and rather than being afraid of it or seeing it as some morbid thing, but as, a, as, a, as, as, as kind of like being in touch with reality, as when we face that, I think it can free us up to make peace with that. Uh, the impermanence of life. And I think when we really face that, then at least what happened for me, 
because I thought, wow, I, I have no idea when it's going to happen. I think the people, have, I think about the people in, let's say, nine eleven. Mm -hmm. They had no idea that they would not come home that night and speak to their loved ones. What if they had just had a fight with their kids or their wife? I mean, they would not have an opportunity to come home and say, "Honey, I'm, I'm so sorry," or "I really love you." And 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 so when I came close to death many times, I thought about my parents. I thought about my my girlfriend. I thought about my friends, and I thought about all the ways that I was holding back love, all the ways I was putting my happiness on layaway for some future moment, all the ways I was waiting for some some perfect sign, perfect moment in the future that I thought was going to happen so that I could give my gifts so that I could love more. And I realized if I died today, I would feel incomplete. So I started to ask myself the question, what if today was the last day of my life? What would I need to do? What mm -hmm. would I need to say? What would I need to give? Who would I need to apologize to? How, how, how would I need to love so that if death came, because it could come for any second. I, I, I always say that one more breath, another breath is not a right that we have. It is a gift and a privilege. So what would I need to do to be, if death came to be fully complete, fully at peace? Sure, there might be more, but, but without any regret. And that's, uh, to me, that's, that's the reason for the question. And one of my dearest friends came to Ghana, West Africa with me about 10 years ago, we went with a group of friends and he was, you know, probably 30 years older than me, a former executive at Intel, an Indian man called Sri. And I kid you not, my, he was like my dearest brother at the time, came to Ghana, West Africa. We had an amazing time. He went up north to uh, one of the national forests in, in northern Ghana, came back a week later. I called him. His, he was in hospital. Two days later, he was dead mm. with malaria. We just don't know. We just don't know. So I think uh, when we realize that, it, it free I, I believe that one of the most um, powerful time management techniques is not simply, you know, uh, uh, systems and boxes and, and, and matrices, but is simply making death your friend. And when you realize that death is your friend and you invite death to tea, death will smile on you and just be a reminder saying, live. Live your life. Don't waste time. Don't waste time on petty things. Get your priorities straight. Who are you? What do you want to do? What gifts do you want to give? Give them. There is no time to waste. Give up trying to be perfect. Give up trying to please everyone. This is it. Because when we die, we can't go to God or whatever you believe, our maker, and say, God, you know, I just, I kind of wasted five years in that job I hated. I, I, I kind of wasted two years in that relationship that just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't aligned from the beginning. There's no refunds when we're gone. So what would you say, Coot, is the first step someone should take to make the these first changes? step? Yeah, the first step. First step. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I think we touched on it, but I would say the first step is, is look, ask yourself, where am I lying to myself? What lies am I telling? What am I pretending to not know? What is it costing me? And, and, get ruthlessly intentional about about telling yourself the truth telling yourself the truth i say that being happy is is simple it's not always easy it's not always easy because you know we're often invested in the life that we've created so you have to be willing to let go you we have to want the truth more than anything else so i think the willingness to tell the truth is is key because all the ways that we lie to ourselves keep us stuck we can meditate we can pray we can do yoga we can go to india we can you know read all the success books and manuals but if we're not being honest i believe none of that stuff really works because then what we're trying to shift what we're trying to change 
is a lie. If we're not, if we're trying to get from, let's say, L.A. to New York, but I'm lying to myself about the fact that I'm I'm in I'm in Boston or I'm in Las Vegas, then how how do we really get to to, to somewhere we want to go if we're lying about where we're at? So I think that's that's a simple but really courageous first step. And I always say, nothing is worth compromising who you are. Nothing is worth your happiness. Nothing. No amount of money. No one. Nothing. And uh, I think when we get committed to that, committed to honoring ourselves, yes, we might lose people. We might lose a job that we hated anyway or that wasn't in alignment. We might have to change a relationship. But I believe that if, if, if by speaking our truth we lose what we have, then likely what we had was not fully uh, in alignment with who we really were. And uh, when we're willing to be truthful, about who we are, about what our needs are, about what we really want, then we begin to attract to us people and situations that can, uh, that are able to meet and honor who we are and the truth. I'm curious, Coot, what's the first thing that you do in the morning? Are you someone who grabs for <laughs> your cell phone and check your emails, or do you take a moment to meditate and think about what the day ahead is going to look <laughs> yeah. like? Yeah, I mean, for the look, here's the deal. I mean, we live in a technology, a fully technologized digital world. That there are moments. I'll be honest. There are moments that I reach for my cell phone. There are moments. I'm I'm going to be honest with you. But for the most part, I do my best, and I think that's all we can do. It's not about perfection. I do my best to uh, take a moment. The first thing I really like to do. The first thing is open my eyes, breathe. And just feel how good it is to breathe and be alive again. Like, oh my, I'm, I'm alive again. You know, and feel the gratitude for a new day. Feel the gratitude for the moment. Connect to my heart. And that's what I, that's what I like to do. And, and the next thing, once I've checked my, let's say, my cell phone, see what time it is, is uh, without compromise, I exercise in the morning. Because no matter how, what I found is no matter how tired I am, no matter how whatever's going on in my mind, if I can get out and move my body and I've created a routine, if I can get out and move my body and shake my body up, it totally shifts my energy and sets the foundation for the day. So it's, it's a really powerful thing that I do. And it's, it's, it's non-negotiable wherever I go, whether I travel, whether I'm you know, on different countries or continents. My last question to you, what song inspires you most? What song? Yeah. <laughs> That's a cha- it depends on the moment, man. It depends on the moment. It depends on the mood. I'll pick one that uh, always, I mean, this never fails to inspire me. It doesn't matter what I'm going through, but it's, it's uh, Feel So Close to You, Calvin Harris. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a fun one I really enjoy. Coot Blackson, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I feel so close to you right now. It's a force field. I wear my heart upon my sleeve like a big deal. Coot Blackson is a spiritual leader, transformational coach, and the author of You Are the One. He's online at cootblackson.com. That's coot, K-U-T-E, Blackson, B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. I'm George Baldarki. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>